Journalist Hannah Barnes' new book, Time to Think, explores what went wrong at the Gender Identity Development Service for Children, or GIDS, as it is known, at the Tavistock Clinic in North Dublin. It is set to close its doors this spring. I spoke to Hannah Barnes earlier. I began by asking her, for those people who might not be aware of the background to what happened at Tavistock, to explain what this book is about. Hannah, just, just to start with, for people who may be are unaware of what happened and and the background to what happened uh, at uh, Tavistock. Can can you just explain uh, what this book is about? So this book, really, I'm aiming to give a definitive account of what's happened at this clinic over the last, well, 30 plus years, really, how it went from a really small service providing predominantly talking therapies to a really small number of young people really distressed about their gender to a service which provided predominantly only one treatment pathway, puberty blocking drugs, to a very different group of young people. Referrals were in the thousands, not the dozens, and for whom it appears, obviously the service has helped some young people, I've spoken to them, but it also appears that that some have been harmed as well. So it's chronicling what's happened in 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 those intervening years, what went right and what went wrong. You open the book with a a senior doctor in the Gender Identity Development Service asking the question, are we hurting children? And in the final paragraph of the book, basically the same doctor, uh, Anna Hutchinson, answers that question. Yeah, and I I think we know that some children have been harmed and I've spoken to them, they're in the book. And we also know that some young people have been helped and and I've spoken to them and they're in the book too and I'm grateful to all of them and I think what we don't know and what people like Dr Anna Hutchinson don't know is the numbers on either side and and that's where we're left and and some of the clinicians I've spoken to for the book who who are named and have spoken about their experiences fear that you know this this may end up being a medical scandal but we really just don't know at this point in time we 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 don't have the outcomes for thousands of young people. We don't know how they're faring. Not not just those who have undertaken a medical transition, but but those who didn't either. We do, we just don't know. So, I think we can say for certain that some young people have been harmed. Obviously, not all, and some have been helped. So many red flags seem to have been missed, and and you outline that in the, in the book in in in, in some detail uh, the various red flags that were missed. Um, can you outline some of those red flags and maybe just your your own view on why they were missed? Because like we're the people who worked there, and I think you make this point in the book as well. I mean, they were in they were certainly trying to do the right thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a story about how well-meaning people with good intentions can still end up producing a result that that, that may not be a good one. Um, some of the red flags. I think what's striking is that over time, knowledge that was held by the service appeared to be lost. I think one clinician puts it, you know, there was no organisational memory. So it was it was known from the very early days of the service that some of the children presenting would grow up to be trans adults. And I want to make it clear, no one is questioning anyone's identity or the right to transition. That is not what the book is about. Um, this isn't a culture, a, this isn't a culture uh, war story. Uh, this, is a, this, is, this is a medical story as far as you're concerned. 
Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So we have always known that, uh, and in all studies that exist, albeit all of them are, are not fantastic, but in all studies, there has always been a group of young people who will grow up to be trans adults who, who have their gender related distress in childhood and a group that won't. And in the early years, uh, the leader of the service, Domenico De Celi, put those figures at about 5% for those that would grow up to be trans adults and, and obviously much, much higher for those for whom that wouldn't. And the majority of those that wouldn't would would often grow up to be gay, lesbian or bisexual. Um, we also knew from those really early years that many of the young people presenting at the gender service were contending with really difficult lives. They had so much else going on for them. And an, and an early audit, which was published in 2002 of, of the first 124 children to go through the service, it showed that. It showed that many suffered from depression, anxiety. Some were exhibiting you know, inappropriate sexual behaviour, which is something that, you know, all these things were picked up by your clinicians there in Ireland as well. Um, and that was, you know, 20 odd years ago. And it seems that as the service got so busy in the kind of 2010s and the referrals exploded, that knowledge was lost. And what so many clinicians have told me, I mean, let's take the first one about the outcomes of these young people. What so many clinicians say is that JITS was really only designed or was only was only supporting those for whom a medical transition would work and of course there are some for whom it does work and who are happy trans adults and it wasn't serving those for whom it wouldn't because there was no alternative treatment pathway there was no sort of talking extensive talking therapy or or anything else on offer and and jits would say to in their defense that they weren't commissioned to do that you know they were there as a gender service to, to look at a mm. young person's gender sorry jits being the gender identity development service in, yeah, in, sorry, in at, at tavistock absolutely um and and it was it was for local mental health services cams to to, to be looking at the other so things essentially was, essentially was mental health ignored by staff because they became overly um preoccupied solely with gen with gender is that a a fair summation I think with all of these things, it's slightly more complicated. Of course, you know, yeah. Um, I don't. It wasn't intentional. I mean, there was no time to do these these a really thorough assessment. You know, it just wasn't possible to have ongoing talking therapy prior to starting medical interventions because they were completely swamped by the numbers and they were running. The service was run according to an assessment model, whereby not always, but young people were told even in their in their referral letters, sorry, in their acceptance letters, that assessments usually took place over three to six sessions. So that was the expectation. Um, so it wasn't that there was any purposeful overlooking of these other things. But what I have been told is that any difficulties tended to be seen through the prism of gender. So, you know, it may well be that it was acknowledged that someone was really struggling, but but that was because of their gender struggles rather than it might be due to something else. Do you know what I mean? It sure. was whether, yeah. So I don't think, you know, there's no ill intent, but but absolutely those were overlooked. And, you know, it's something that Dr. Hilary Cass has found in, in her interim findings of her very thorough review of this area of healthcare to, uh, in, in England, that... She, she uses this phrase diagnostic overshadowing that that only the gender difficulties were attended to and nothing else and, and therefore in some cases were overlooked 
you you have a chapter uh, as you kind of alluded to there. You have a chapter uh, devoted to those children sent uh, to uh, Gids uh, from Ireland. And in fact, I know you. And in the chapter, you speak to both Don Lachey and Paul Moore, uh, two experts that we have spoken to on, on the show here, uh, who voice concerns. Um, I, I, I'm curious. Are you surprised? Uh, and I, I'm sure you're not acutely aware of what's happening here in Ireland or you may not be but are you surprised that bar maybe a couple of backbench TDs no politicians really here have raised concerns about children being sent to Tavistock despite the damning independent report by Hillary Cass into its practices despite the work that you have done does that surprise you a little bit? How to answer that I think there hasn't been much from from English politicians either, so perhaps the the situation in Ireland is is similar and reflective of of here. I mean, there are obviously political figures who are voicing concerns now, but but I, it's it's certainly not the majority who have spoken publicly. What's happened in Ireland is absolutely vital to this story for helping people understand because the average layperson who's not particularly engaged might think that there is agreement in clinical circles with clinicians on the front line of how best to care for this group of young people and where there isn't agreement or where there's concern it's motivated in some way by transphobia and and nothing could be further from the truth and what we have here in Ireland in Paul Moran and Donal O'Shea and their colleagues are professionals who have dedicated their working lives to helping people successfully transition they are they see the benefits that that can have on people's lives. So, and and they are saying, it's not that people shouldn't transition. To the contrary, we help people do that, but it has to be done safely. And what they saw in those JIDS assessments was they were not adequate. They didn't adequately take into account the circumstances of those young people, and they weren't always safe. And so you can question the standard of care and the standard of assessment without questioning the right of transition or that it works for people and I think that's what's so important about what's happened in Ireland. Are are people afraid to put their heads above the parapet? Yeah I think they are I mean it's really difficult I mean when we started doing this at at, at BBC Newsnight in 2019 um, you know myself with with Deborah Cohen our editor was amazing and, and backed it because we were doing important work Esme Wren but it was difficult you know, in every film that we put out, we got complaints and there was external pressure on us. So it's a really difficult story to cover. And I think that's why things got to where they were, though, because one of the clinicians in the book talks about gender being a bit of a cloak of mystery and and others talk about it muddying the waters. And it's like this word gender gets thrown in and therefore the normal scrutiny of, of a healthcare service isn't isn't taking place, whether that's by, you know, the regulators, by NHS England in in this case, or by the HSE over there in Ireland, um, by politicians. There's a fear crept in that that by questioning the healthcare provided to this group of young people, that that was somehow questioning their identity and, and nothing could be further from the truth. So I think there is absolutely a fear because anybody who speaks is attacked and you know, from from either side, to be fair. Um, But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't scrutinise healthcare practices when, when, you know, we're talking about children and young people here. 
Have things changed? I, I, I noticed that the proposed NHS um, uh, service specification um, to, to follow is out for consultation. I know it, it stresses um, uh, psychosocial, psychological uh, support rather than uh, immediately medical support. Do you think things are changing? Well, I think that, as you say, that draft sp- uh, service specification signalled a really quite dramatic shift from from the existing one that JIDS is still following. The emphasis on psychological support, the emphasis on a more holistic approach to these young people, much more mental health support, specialist support for those with autism or neurodiversity. Um, so it does signal a big shift and, and you know, no mention whatsoever of a time-limited assessment. Um, we, we haven't seen the final one yet. So I think the mood music is is something that's shifting. But from what we've heard from current people working in the Gender Identity Development Service, there is no way, they say, that these new services will be open in the spring as intended. I don't know how they're going to be staffed and we don't know what model they're going to be following. I mean, it's important to say they're not ruling out puberty blockers, physical interventions, but importantly, they are going to try to plug some of these gaps in the evidence base for, you know, long term outcomes of, of these treatments on young people. So I think the mood music is certainly one that is shifting. Um, but at the moment, we, we, you know, those families, those thousands and thousands of young people waiting on, wait, on a waiting list are, are pretty much in the dark and waiting for years without any help whatsoever, which is everyone can agree is, is a terrible thing. Uh, final question, uh, Hannah. The the title of the book, "Time to Think," uh, I, and obviously there's the uh, there's the, there's the subheading uh, uh, as well, but the inside story of of, of what's happened. But uh, time to think. Why did you choose that title? I think there's three main reasons. That phrase is really significant in three main and different ways in this story. So, firstly, for the young people themselves, time to think was the rationale given for puberty blockers that they. You know, they gave a young person who's struggling with their gender identity time to think while not undergoing the changes to the body that are making them so distressed. But as it happens, it seems that that's not particularly how they work. So that that's one reason. Then how it relates to staff working at JIDS, there was just no time to think about what they were doing. They were completely overwhelmed. They couldn't stop and reflect on whether, you know, this approach was the right one for each and every one of those young people. And a thirdly is more sort of, you know, for everyone, is it time to think how we provide the best care for each and every one of those young people, for those for whom transition will work and those for whom it won't?